This is the Disability Visibility Podcast with your host, Alice Wong. Welcome to the Disability Visibility Podcast. The conversations on disability politics, culture, and media. I'm your host, Alice Wong. Today, I'm in conversation with Elena Morales, who graduated with a bachelor's degree in digital sciences with a minor in disability studies at UC Berkeley in spring 2021. Elena is a queer disabled advocate of color and the former chair and co-founder of the Disabled Students Commission. And through loving interdependence and collective labor with her fellow trips, she co-created one of the few disability cultural centers in the country at UC Berkeley. You'll hear Elena talk about developing your disability identity, finding community, it getting involved in student activism at school. You'll also hear about the importance of creating space for the broader disability community with the formation of the Disability Cultural Center and the years-long process that made it happen. Are you ready? Away we go! So, Alana, thank you so much for being my podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, why don't we go ahead and start with, uh, if you don't mind, just introducing yourself and just sharing anything you like about your background and who you are. Yeah, um, my name is Alana Morales. Uh, my pronouns are she or her. Um, I'm disabled. I'm queer, um, Filipina, Latina. And I go to UC Berkeley. I'm a fifth year and I'm studying nutritional science. I'm in the registered dietitian program and I'm also studying disability studies. And I'm also a wheelchair user and a port user if anyone else is out there. That's right, port pride, right? Yes, pump pride all the way. <laughs> I read that about an interview with you and I love this idea about, you know, just a really kind of open and just very visible about all of the aspects of who you are. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's something I I definitely had to take a bit of time. You know, I became disabled um, in high school and there's a bit of a mourning period there for sure. But, you know, I, I definitely feel pride now and the wheelchair, you can see it in an instant, but that's a bit of more of a nuanced uh, accessibility device and something that I don't want to talk about as much. So when I talked to my friend Katie Saban about it, and she also had a pump, we were like, pump pride. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about pride too, and identity where, you know, I think there's not a linear path, right? Like so many of us struggle, you know, with feeling comfortable within our own body minds. But I think that's okay too i mean everybody's got their own path and i don't think uh, you know just to be a member of the disability community i don't think you have to be expected to be this very openly proud and loud person what are your thoughts on that 
No, it's so true. And, and I think, you know, because there are so many types of folks in our community, it, there's just so much nuance there. And I know for myself, like, because my disabilities are based on chronic illness and they're very unpredictable, very, some days are good, some days are bad. And because of that, I think, you know, the pride definitely goes up and down and there's, there are moments where it's, it's really hard, but at the same time, the beauty of it, right, is that you get to connect with other folks that have been through similar experiences as you, different experiences, but maybe have a similar perspective, um, you know, all sorts of folks that you can talk to. And I think with me, like, just being able to, to meet someone like Katie that also had a pump and just to be seen was really, it was really big for me because it's, it's not always out there for us. Yeah, I feel like that also speaks to, you know, they try to write down the very narrow ideas of when we think about the word disability. You know, it's still very, you know, much about apparent disabilities. It leaves out so many people who are, who have chronic illness, who are neurodivergent, who have invisible disabilities. And I think, you know, what I've noticed in the last at least, you know, 10 years, it just seems like to me, there's a much more kind of uh, organizing and communities for people with chronic illness. And it's just like, it's been really wonderful to see because people do crave connection. And, you know, what has been your journey like in terms of finding community with others like yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. I think with me, you know, so fun fact, I actually started out as an athlete before disability. Um, I did martial arts competitively. So I was on the whole other spectrum, right? <laughs> um, so for me, disability that I had disabled folks in my family, and I think for me, that helped my family support system. Um, when I was really young, my grandma, she had myasthenia gravis, and um, I took care of her. My whole family took care of her. And she called herself the disabled diva. So for me, I kind of had um, that perspective as well, just being a family member. And my mom also is disabled. And my brother is disabled. So we were, I was able to find community in my home at first. And for me, that helped me be more comfortable to just see what's out there and look on the internet. Um, go online, see if anyone else is kind of going through the same things as me because, you know, the isolation was pretty big. Um, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of disability representation in my school at the time. So, and because I was part of that athletic environment, I didn't have a lot of friends that were going through that, if, if at all. So um, I went on the internet and I started um, just talking to folks in the Spoonie community. And that's kind of where I got started with um, an external community. And I really identified as a Spoonie very strongly in high school. And, and I still do 100%. Um, but then I did a school project my senior year about Ed Roberts and about UC Berkeley and kind of how that kickstarted the disability rights and independent living movement. And for me, that was like, you know, this light kind of dinged on of, wow, this, there's so much out there and there's so much history and just, it was just incredible. So that kind of kickstarted the, the wheels of, of disability. And for me, because 
I, I didn't start using a wheelchair or having a port till I was uh, 16, 17. So I had an invisible disability. So when I started using those more visible devices and, and my access needs were a bit more apparent, that's when I started really learning more about disability as an identity and leaning into that community, um, kind of just making my own mix of community. And uh, when I got to Berkeley, then I met just so many folks. There's so many t different types of folks here. So for me, that was that was really important. And and being at Berkeley has helped me develop my sense of community community more, but also kind of like figure out more about myself as well and my identity. You know, where do I stand in all of this, and what are my access needs, and and how do I say them loud and proud, um, and especially like in my field, like doing STEM, there's there's barriers that I faced um, being a student in STEM kind of at the time when I was a freshman. And so then I was finding more community um, to sort of port me through that as well. So it's there's there's a lot that's gone into it. But I think for me, that was great because I got to meet a lot of people and learn from them and in that turn, learn more about myself, but also help other people and advocate for us. The uh, your high school project about Ed Roberts at you know UC Berkeley is you know the premier flagship campus and it's you know has a reputation uh, in terms of really uh, a long history of not only student activism but you know disability culture. Was that the draw in terms of applying to UC Berkeley or just was everything? that you kind of expected or thought about? Was it, did it be your expectations when you arrived as a first-year student? Or do you feel like there were things that kind of surprised you? Right. Yeah. Um. You know, when I was doing my research, I was thinking the whole time, like, oh my gosh, UC Berkeley must be the most accessible campus ever because all these amazing activists came out of it. And you know, we kind of spearheaded these conversations and, and access on a campus, on a university, university campus. And so I really thought it was going to be this ginormous disability community with the most access out there, no ableism. <laughs> but obviously that was not uh, the case. So I, I got there and um, yeah, just, I didn't, I, so I went, I was interested in advocacy. So I went to my first meeting at the Disabled Students Union and there was only a couple people there and I was like well I was expecting dozens of people and and the community was just not as as visible as I thought and I was having some issues with accommodations and just professors um, and in STEM I was having a lot of lab accommodation issues so it really surprised me and I think that's when I got more into activism was because I was seeing kind of the problems that were arising and I knew that the community was there because I was meeting so many people, you know, disabled staff, disabled students and community members. And they're there and they have these underground spaces, but it wasn't really visible on campus. And that's when I knew that I wanted to be part of what was going on and the activism that was happening, even if it was 
not as visible at the time. I wanted to help make it a bit more out there. Um, and also, you know, what that helped me as well, because I learned a lot from other folks and I was able to self-advocate better because I wasn't getting what I needed. So I was able to, you know, get the accommodations I needed and learn how to advocate for myself in classroom spaces as well. And, you know, as a fifth year student, you've both have a pretty good sense of kind of overall some of the broader issues that students face. Uh, is there anything that, you know, in addition to what do you think uh, you're, you face yourself, but also to other disabled students, what are some of the, the major things that students are dealing with right now, especially you know, in the midst of the pandemic, as you see personally. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there are a couple main themes that kind of lead to some issues. So the biggest thing is that I've experienced, but I've heard, and, and just what you kind of see on campus is the, the isolation that disabled students experience on campus. You know, because the structure is designed to, um, you know, the Disabled Students Program, which is where we get our accommodations at UC Berkeley and the Disability Access and Compliance Office, those are uh, compliance-based spaces. And when you get your accommodations, uh, they don't reveal your identity. You just give your letter of accommodation directly to your professor. And, you know, so students aren't able to really find each other, DSP students. And just in general, because of the way that system is designed, you could be sitting next to a DSP student in your class of, you know, 500 people, and you wouldn't even know that they're also disabled. So that lack of 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 ability to find each other is, is makes it really difficult to feel like, you know, you feel like you're the only person out there dealing with this. And because those are really the only spaces on campus, um, and they are compliance spaces, there's, it's hard for community members to find each other. Um, and that's where we really got into advocating for other types of spaces that were more community and culture oriented in our advocacy. Um, so that's, that's a really big thing. And, you know, with that lack of visibility, like I said, the isolation is just, it's really difficult. And some people, when we were doing, we've done a lot of town halls over the years and, um, you know, just different community events, socials and things. And it's really nice. People say, it's, you know, it's so nice to just be talking with other disabled folks because I feel like it's just me. I'm, I'm the only one out here, you know. And it's that's just wild to me because if you think about it, Berkeley has tens of thousands of students. And if, you know, at least 20% of the population has disabilities, you would imagine that there'd be thousands of students on campus and, you know, the ability for us to meet so easily, but it's, it's hard. Um, and, and yeah, you wouldn't expect that from the birthplace of the disability rights movement. Yeah. And I also think a lot about, uh, you know, students that do receive a request, students that do request and receive accommodations through DSP, how, uh, you know, many of the top reasons why it feels like such a lonely or individual experience. You know, one of the things that feels intentional to me is the sense that 
you know, students can organize and have an impact or have a, you know, direct say in the kind of policies and practices. You know, people, I think, go through these things where they have to, like, fight so hard for their own kind of access needs and that uh, it really is about systemic change. And that's, that's where, you know, the longer institutional change happens. But students, you know, if they don't know how to find one another, it's hard to organize. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and, and that's the first thing I noticed um, when I went into my first Disabled Students Union meeting is um, the place wasn't, ex- the space wasn't accessible. So what how the clubs are designed at UC Berkeley is you um, you request a meeting or a room to meet in, and then they allocate you a space randomly. And when it, the space wasn't accessible to one of our members. And then um, a couple months later, we had an event where at Berkeley, you know, all the clubs, they, they go on the Sproul Plaza and they, you know, recruit new members and they have all these tables and our table wasn't wheelchair accessible. So we were having a lot of issues just getting to the table to be able to talk to people. And it's, it's all very intentional for sure. And the fact that we can't organize, you know, there's no accountability measures for the administration to be able to um, listen to us and make the changes that we need to expand the resources for disabled folks. as you mentioned about the need for different kind of cultural spaces that are not about accessibility, you know, per se, or just accommodations. Uh, You know, I read an interview about you and your activism, and along with lots of other people at UC Berkeley, it establishing the first ever Disability Cultural Center on campus. And, you know, first of all, congratulations on that. Thank you. You know, for those who are unfamiliar with Disability Cultural Centers, uh, did you describe kind of what they are? Because, you know, they do exist currently at various universities throughout the United States. It is kind of amazing to think that UC Berkeley only recently established this, but, you know, what is a Disability Cultural Center and, you know, what do you think about them as an entity versus, you know, other kind of registered student organizations and other kinds of uh, offices and entities? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um now, since disability is an identity that is so broad and, and so complex and nuanced, I think, to me, I see disability cultural centers as kind of that social, cultural, and, and super visible starting point for folks to get involved in, in the community and, and in the disability in general. Really just a place where folks can show up and do whatever they need to do to 
feel empowered and also just get through this rigorous academic environment, um, whether it's, you know, I need to, I need to go in and take a nap in the quiet room, or I really just need to vent to someone that's been through a similar experience as me, or I want to get more involved in advocacy and, and join this group that's organizing in the conference room. So I really just want it to be a hub for the community and what it is at the time. Um, so that also means expanding it one day. Um, obviously, Katie and I and other folks, we spent a lot of time doing town halls and getting input from the community and just making sure that everyone's voice was kind of in these proposals that we submitted about the cultural space. But that's, of course, the class that exists now. So hopefully as, as more folks come in and have their wants and needs for the space, then it will develop into something even more amazing. Um, but yeah, really just a space that is visible and shows that we are here and um, this is a home and that UC Berkeley is a place that is meant for disabled people because having a, a, a space for us to just be and uh, organize as well because it's been so difficult to find spaces to organize over the years. Um, just sends messages to the community that we belong here. I love it. Yeah, can you tell me a little bit about that movement and kind of the years of organizing it took? Because I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much work it takes in terms of getting anything established. You know, could you share a little bit about your own kind of involvement and this whole effort? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It was it was so much work. It was years and years of proposals and, and protests, et cetera. So what happened is, um, so I was advocating with the Disabled Students Union, which had changed our name to the Student Coalition for Disability Rights, and I was the president and um, I was also doing a campaign in the student government, the ASUC, and we were doing a campaign on disability visibility. And one of our action items was to get a disability cultural center. And other folks were also doing labor. Uh, Berkeley Disabled Students was working on it. So one day, Katie Saban, who I mentioned, um, she went to the uh, director of DSP, Karen Nielsen, and said, hey, is, is anyone working on this? Like, we really need a cultural center. Um, so we kind of all formed this task force and we called it the Disabled Student Leaders Coalition. And it was great. Um, just a bunch of awesome women just trying to get our proposal ready. And so we presented our proposal the administration was like, yeah, like, so great, such a good idea. The chancellor wrote us a letter approving it, saying I'm in full support. And uh, then we didn't really hear anything. And yeah, it was just a lot of uh, radio silence and back and forth. So it was, it was really difficult because there wasn't a lot of traction. And we were going to all of these departments, but they were saying, oh, you, you can't get academic space because you're not an academic entity, but you can't get a club space because you're not a club because we, we wanted to make it super clear, hey, it's not 
Elena's coalition that's getting the space. It's not the student government. It's the disability community. And there's not really a policy for that in the UC. So it made the process a lot more difficult. And we eventually went to the Space Allocations and Capital Improvements Committee, I believe it's called, the SACI Committee, and um, submitted a proposal for space. They're the ones that are in charge of allocating different group spaces. So we submitted a proposal and they denied it because they were like, well, where's your community? We don't see it. Like, um, is this a real thing? And I mean, that's just, that was just shocking to me because it's like, well, you're not giving us the ability to congregate and organize. So we ended up having a, uh, like a rally in front of their next meeting in front of the building of their next meeting. And we were doing lots of chants, you know, disabled and proud. Um, what do we want? Disability Cultural Center. When do we want it? 10 years ago. <laughs> um, and just, we were all like in a circle sharing stories and it was just really beautiful. It was like one of the best memories of my life, to be honest. And then they said that day, okay, we believe you now. You're obviously here the whole time. Uh, so here's your space. And so that was the, okay, you have the space now. Now the question was, where? So then we spent a couple of years um, trying to find the actual space. So we, you know, toured the campus with a task force within that committee, the SACI committee. Um, and it had a couple of disabled faculty and a couple other folks as well. Ben Perez, who's the... Um, manager of physical access and so um, we all kind of just met we were touring spaces oh this isn't super accessible this is great this isn't great and then we submitted a proposal for the space um, and then the the leader of that task force he ended up retiring and he was a powerhouse his name was Abram and he had been part of the campus for decades and when he retired then there wasn't a lot of accountability within the administration at that point so there is a, again, kind of that radio silence situation. Um, so yeah, so then we had to, you know, bang on everyone's emails and doors and et cetera, et cetera. And um, what we actually had to do to get a bit more visibility is um, we decided to actually make our own branch of the student government. And that allowed us to get a bit more of a platform and a bit more, I guess, clout for the administration to listen to us at that point because there was so much radio silence. And we were able to get some funding from the student government and help fund some of the programs that were cut in the meantime. Um, but that's a whole other story of student advocacy. <laughs> um, so we eventually did get a hold of the chancellor and her um, plan to basically revolutionize all the buildings on campus and house programs, different spaces and et cetera, et cetera. And we were able to get our space in Hurstfield Annex, which is a one-story hall on campus. And it's actually great because um, the chancellor is planning to house a couple other uh, groups there as well. So um, Queer Resource Center, and then the Fannie Lee Hamer Black Resource Center is there. And then Karen Nakamura, who's an amazing disability studies professor, her disability lab is also in that hall. So it's going to be like 
a great space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just had a piece of uh, excellent parties there, I think. Definitely. <laughs> There's a percentage of disabled students who actually request to receive accommodations through, you know, the disabled student services. And, you know, there's actually far more students, faculty, and staff members that are disabled that never go through to the DSP office. So really, you know, a disability cultural center really is a place that's, you know, for the larger community. No, definitely. And and it really does show, too, because there's hardly any disabled staff or faculty that report, have you know, having a disability. And, and there's definitely out there. And, you know, you because of these messages that are being sent to the community, the retention rate for disabled students, it's very low. So it's... It's going to be great because, A, the, the larger community can meet, but then, B, having those relationships with disabled staff and faculty and, and the, the wider Berkeley community, just being able to make those connections. And, and for me, like having a conversation with a disabled faculty, it's like, wow, you're so successful in your career. I can do that too, right? And just being able to meet like that is is really great. And, and we do... Uh, also want to be able to have events that are foster those conversations so students can feel more comfortable and encouraged to vocalize their access needs in the classroom space um, and then get resources that maybe go beyond what is super visible at DSP and super visible, uh, more uh, visible than what's on campus, right? Yeah, and I love the fact that we are taking the time for this story because you know, we're capturing a moment, right? This is uh, your final year at on campus. And, you know, I think it takes a lot of persistence and strategy and leadership. And uh, what were some of the things that you think were the big lessons in terms of, you know, forming a coalition to really to gather enough kind of will, political will, to get this done. I mean, looking back at all of this, you know, the five years that you've, you know, been involved on campus, what are some of the most important things that you've kind of learned about yourself and just kind of what you've been through with this process? That's a great question. Um, you know, because the, the process was so complex and there were so many um, barriers, it, it all was just, it's difficult, like when you're a student, because you're also, you're going to school full time. And, and I also work um, part time. And, you know, you're also trying to do internships and then other things to help with your, your long term career. So as we were dealing with these these hurdles along the way of getting the cultural space such as you know the the programs that were cut at the same time the cutting of the no limits program which was 
um, a great accessible wellness program at the school gym, you really learn that all of these hurdles are, are intentional and, you know, you really have to be able to work together as a community to strategize, but also lean on each other because it's, it's, it's draining, right? You, you juggle so many things as a student, um, but you're also learning about yourself because you're, you know, for me, I started doing all this when I was like 18. So I was still kind of, you know, dealing with all the things that come along with being 18. <laughs> so I, I learned to just lean on your community. Interdependence is a wonderful, wonderful thing and helping each other out. Um, learning from folks that came before me. A big mentor of mine is Ben Perez, who I mentioned earlier. Um, just having other disabled folks such as him and, and also Katie, just as a wonderful co-leader. Um, I feel like the experience really strengthened my love for the community um, and made me realize that I wasn't alone in the experience. Um, and then also like I didn't, it didn't all have to be on me. I think like one thing when I did first start out because I was dealing a lot with, um, you know, my coalition, my first coalition, the, the Student Coalition for Disability Rights, we were having uh, so many issues getting members because of the lack of visibility because we didn't have the cultural center and these resources. And previously, um, when I, so when I came in to Berkeley in 2016, the Disabled Students Residence Program had just been cut and that was a huge resource for the disability community, um, getting accessible housing and other independent living strategies. Um, and so when that was cut, there was a trend of just lack of attendance for disabled folks. And so there was a, a big trend there of all these systems that are trying to, you know, boot disabled people out and not have these resources and, you know, the isolation because of, of the system and, and academia in general. So for me, when I was trying to, you know, try to recruit new members and kind of revamp everything, it, it was just a lot of pressure. And I, I did definitely like overexert myself and I was, definitely like flaring up my disabilities were like what are you doing you're doing so much right now so I really learned like to honor my own disability my own capacity along the way and that in itself is an act of activism right excited that to hear this kind of origin story because you know students do come and go and yet you know for decades uh, so many students have left an indelible mark on UC Berkeley or just any institution they're a part of and you know universities are better because of it you know and sometimes that takes a lot of agitation, sometimes it takes a lot of, you know, different kind of means of persuasion, but, you know, student voices are so important, and, you know, I'm just so grateful to you and just to everybody that's involved in this effort right now. 
thank you so much. It's, I'm just, I'm just so happy with how it's, it's going. I mean, it's, it's been a journey, but I'm, I'm really happy. And, you know, because of this, we've, I've actually been getting emails from people at UCSD and uh, UCLA and UC Davis about setting up a cultural center there. So really, I think the UC system is in for a surprise because of what our community has done and the fact that, you know, we've, we've done it and we can do it again. And I've been, you know, giving my proposals to advocates at those schools saying here, bypass this labor by submitting this and doing this. And I think it's, I think it's really great. You know, I think the dream is to have like every single community college, vocational school, high schools, you know, all of it to have some sort of disability culture components. Wouldn't that be the dream? It really would, yeah. Really, like, all, all like, Katie and I were saying is, like, man, I wish we had had this when we first came in. Imagine how much more empowered we would have felt from day one and how supported we would have felt from day one and how far we would have gone. So I really hope that it becomes a bigger thing and, and other folks can get those resources and get community, find their home, like, right away so people don't have to um, feel alone in a space that's so big, you know? Yep, and this is what progress looks like, and it's, it gives me so much hope and joy. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's just been a real joy uh, talking to you. I just learning from you. So I'm just very grateful for everything you've done. Thank you so much, Alice. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for all the work you've done and for this platform. This podcast is a production of the Disability Visibility Project and of a community dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media culture. All episodes of Trading Texture Strips are available at disabilityvisibilityproject.com slash podcast. You can also find out more about Elena on my website. The audio producer for this episode is Geraldine Asu. The introduction by Latif Petrov. The music by Bojo Sports Jam. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, or Google Podcasts. You can also support our podcast for a dollar a month or more by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dvp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dvp. Thanks for listening. Thanks to you on the internet. Bye! Stop, stop, drop, dance off.